this, the Lord just gave me this uh, a few weeks ago. I wrote it down and then I just added some things. I shared it in the back room and I just, the Lord's going to take us into a place of ushering in his presence and giving us his rest. This is what he desires for his people. It's what he, he did in, in, or in, uh, uh, in Exodus. And you have Moses being the most humble man on earth. He penned it. <laughs> Moses, the most humble man on earth. <laughs> but, it, but it's not a bad thing. It, it's not a, like a prideful thing. He's actually saying, I depend more on Jesus than all of you. It's the greatest place to be. He's, it's that closest place to him that, that then the Lord can move in and through us and use us when we completely depend on him. And so, but Moses says these words, he goes, he says, Lord, I, I want to know your ways so that I may know you and have favor with you. And then the Lord responds with two things. He says, I'm going to give you, because of this, as you walk in my ways, as you learn my ways, you walk in them, you get to know me, and as you get to know me, my favor rests upon you. And he goes, and this is what I'll do. I'll give you my presence, and I will give you rest. And I believe most of the church today is not in a place of rest. We have moments of rest or, or worldly rest, I'll just say this now. The, the Sabbath day of rest that, that is talked about, the one day of rest, it's, it's never meant to be a day of rest. If you're going for a day of rest and you're like, well, I'm on my, my Sabbath day of rest, it, it's not a bad thing to have, like, to, to have a Sabbath day of rest. It is not what Jesus intended. It's not what the Father intended. He didn't intend us to have a day. He called and commanded a day under the old covenant because we didn't have Jesus. And so he was, he was, it was a foreshadow of the things to come. But what he was doing is he was reestablishing the very rest that he, he had given from the beginning of time. In Genesis, after the sixth day of work, says the Lord that he rested from all work. He didn't... It, it wasn't that he went back to work on the eighth day. There was no eighth day. It, it says he rested from all his work. So he didn't go back to work. And I think this is sometimes a misunderstanding. It's like, well, yeah, he rested on the seventh day and then God went back to work on the eighth day. No, he rested from all his work. And then he, as he created man, that was the last thing he created. He created man in his image. He created man in his image and he breathed life into him. He breathed the Holy Spirit into him to remain in a place of rest on this earth that we would never step out of rest. He didn't call Adam and Eve to a day of rest. He gave them rest. He, he gave them a life of rest. We, through sin and disobedience, stepped out of that place of rest. We see it again with the Israelites. They stepped out of rest because of disobedience. They did not walk in his ways. And, and the church today does not walk in obedience to the Lord. We don't think it's important because we think that grace covers us. It doesn't. You say, well, ah, here's, here's that offense going to come in right here. 
You ready? Jab you a few times. His grace is sufficient. It's, it's amazing. It, it is powerful. But it is only activated through faith. His grace doesn't just get poured out on everyone in the world. He doesn't just go, grace, and everybody's saved and everybody's good. No, this world is going to hell. And it is only through faith that we activate this faith or this grace that he has for us. He's calling us to step into it. And faith is actually by works. And people go, well, you don't need works. Yes, you do. If you don't have works, you don't have grace. <laughs> I'm going to offend you. Get ready. If you don't have works, you don't have grace. But it's not your works. And so if we strive in our own works, we cannot attain grace. But grace is only through works. But it's only through the faith that is, is works. Faith without works is dead. It is nothing. So if you stop with, I believe, and you never step into it, then you never actually activate the very grace that God has for us because all you've done is in your mind you've said, I love you, but I'm not cleaning my room. He demands obedience, and it is because of disobedience that the Israelites never entered into that rest. It is because of disobedience in the Garden of Eden that we lost that place of rest. But then the beauty of it is Jesus. Oh, Jesus. He is wisdom, and he is rest. He is rest. So we can't attain rest it's given to us. But it's only given to us when we come to Him. So this is what the Lord is doing. He's, he's saying, look, come to me. You see it, you see it in, in Isaiah 55. He goes, all of you who are hungry and thirsty, come to me. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to give you drink. Jesus says in, in John 6, He goes, I'm the bread of life. Without me, you, you, you have no life. But eat of me. Drink of me. Drink me in. In John 7, he says, he says, anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Come and drink. He goes, and I'll fill you to overflowing. You'll have rivers of living water that will flow out of your belly. Rivers. Streams, rivers, whatever the translation is. A lot of water will flow out of you. And it's not water. It's actually the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, and this is the Holy Spirit. We come to Jesus fully, not just a, I love you, Jesus. No, we step into that radical obedience of loving him. We step into faith with action. And then it says, and I will give you my presence. I'll give you rest. Listen to this. this these words are so cool. In 1 John, sorry, we will, we're going to go back into worship here. <laughs> um, this is 1 John 3. Listen to these words. It says, this is how we know what love is. So this is Jesus' part. <laughs> Jesus Christ, he lays down his life for us. 
And then he says, now, here's your part. Lay down your lives for your brothers and your sisters. He says, if anyone has material possession and sees his brother in need and yet does not take pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? And and catch these words right here. I I saw this, I feel like, for the first time, even though I've read it a hundred times. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and in truth. This is that, those, the works that we're called to. They're called good works. And, and this is what it says. So we love, we do this with action, faith in action, and with truth. And then out of it, here's what happens. It says, this then is how we know we belong to the truth. So as you step into that, it says, and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. The very thing that Moses said, Lord, I want to know your ways so that I can know you and have favor with you. Jesus says this right here. He goes, this is what I'm going to give to you. I'm going to give you my presence and I'm going to give you rest. So the works that we have are not our works. They're works in Christ. Outside of abiding in him, we have no works. It says you can do nothing. So this is this place that he's calling us into. Catch this, because this is huge. We're going we're gonna to stop all the works that we're striving to do, but we're going to actually do radical works. We're going to go do things like tear down kingdoms. We're going to go do things that, that blow the minds of people that cannot be done by human standards, but they're done in the supernatural. And it's the works that we're actually created for. This is the place of rest that we have. When we operate in this place, that is rest. It's not having your 401k in place. It's not having a great vacation. It's not just having time with your family or or vegging out and watching television. That is not rest. Nothing outside of Christ is rest. And he calls us into a life of rest. He says he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And what was crazy is all, you look in the New Testament, how many times The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they get offended because Jesus does the very thing that he's not supposed to do on the Sabbath day, according to the traditions. But it's the traditions of man that nullify the word and the power of God. When we actually take hold of these traditions and we say, well, this is how it has to be, it actually shuts down what God wants to do. He's not looking for for these, like, for sacrifices, for things that that have to be done here. He's actually looking at the heart. And then in that heart, it's motivated by love. We move into action. We move into the very good works that we're created for. He's calling us into a life of rest, which is faster, a faster pace than you've ever gone, doing more than you've ever done accomplishing more than you could ever accomplish in a a place of rest because it's through him. And here's what it requires. It requires radical obedience independent of what we understand and what we see with our eyes. Because those that, how does it say? It's 
We walk by faith and not by sight, but he is not pleased with those who do not walk by faith. Anyone who shrinks back, it says the pleasure of the Lord is not on him. So there is a radical faith that he's calling us into, and that's the obedience that we have. The obedience is so critically important. Obey before you understand. When, when you're a parent and you're telling your kid, get out of the road, and they go, why? <laughs> What's going to happen? They're going to get hurt. They're going to get hit. We have to trust in the Lord with all our heart and not lean on our own understanding because his ways are so much higher than our ways that all we do is when we see his words, we go, yes, God. Yes, Lord. Yes, my king. I will radically obey you. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know why you want me to walk around this, this wall for seven days and then scream. It doesn't make any sense. But yes, I will do it. His ways are not our ways. Okay, now let me just read this and then we're going to worship. In the church, there is a lack of presence, power, and rest. And this comes out of a lack of obedience. We take hold of the parts of the Bible that we like and we often dismiss the commands of Jesus. Much of the church is talking about love but there is little walking in love. The church does not look much different from the world. They're both walking in their own ways, according to worldly wisdom, trying to accomplish the things that they, that, they're, that they think that they need to do, whether it's for the Lord or whether it's to better themselves. But it is all for man's glory because it is a striving in their own ways. This has to be removed. If it's not, this will remove the presence and the rest from the church. There is now very little power in the church, and success is based on outdoing one, another and one another's churches, having better worship programs, messages, buildings, classes, etc. Finances, they're not used to steward the expansion of the kingdom. They're used to try to keep congregants from leaving or to entice congregants from other church country clubs to join theirs. So the church has been operating in their own ways and their own understanding for years. We've lost ground. The Spirit of the Lord is once again speaking to hearts to awaken the church, to purify the bride. The beacons are being lit across Colorado to summon those who will say yes. Yes, to such an intimacy with Jesus that we lose ourselves and in doing so, radical obedience becomes easy to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. With obedience comes intimacy and intimacy requires obedience, radical obedience to the Lord. In this place, rest will come. Purity comes, presence comes, power comes. Holy Spirit moves, revival comes as we come to Jesus with desperate hearts as a living sacrifice we will see the power and the presence return to the church in this place we will live in rest and in this place we will live in 
Jesus. Would you guys stand up again? Can we just enter back in? Look, these are not songs we sing just to sing. This is to encounter the living God, to come into a place of laying down our lives. Are you guys ready to lay down your lives? Are you guys ready to say, I'm no longer going to live for myself. I'm no longer going to allow the things of this world to satisfy me. Because in the end, they won't. They might satisfy you for a short period of time. But when the shakings begin to happen, you're going to realize you missed it. Because you didn't look to the King of Kings. You didn't submit to His authority. And you didn't walk in His ways, regardless of your understanding. So let's, let's make the decision today to enter into that place of rest. He's calling us into rest. It's not a bad thing. I just, it says that his, his, his commands are not burdensome. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. But he says, learn from me. Learn from me. Come into this place with me. He calls us in. He says, come to me. All of you are weary and are burdened. Come to me. Guess what? When we're not walking in a place of rest, we're worried. We're burdened. If you're worried right now, if there are things that you are fearful of, if there are things that you are, that are like overwhelming you right now, don't try and fix them. Come to Jesus. Actually come to him. Lay those things down at his feet and stop worrying about it. Yeah, let it go. Wait, I can't let it go. It's, it's affecting me. It's, it's affecting you because you're, you're living still for yourself. You're not living for Him. When you die to yourself, nothing affects you. When you live for yourself, everything affects you. Let's live for Him. Let's die to the things of, of ourselves. Let's die to every worry, every concern, everything that would choke out the fruitfulness of life. Let's worship. Lord, let our lives be a song to you. Let our lives be worship to you. That living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to you. It's a spiritual act of worship to you. Let it be on to you. Let our lives be on to you. Let our lives glorify you. Let our lives give you all the glory. That your name would be lifted high. That as we declare the name of Jesus over our lives and over our families, over our workplaces, over our influences. We declare the name of Jesus that's above every name. Yes. That we would bow to that name. That we would look to you, Jesus. That we would never bow to our circumstances. That we would never bow to the things that are happening around us. We only bow to one. We only gaze upon one. We only look to one. We don't look to anything else. 
Nothing else entices us and nothing else brings us into a place of fear. But as we look to you, it's the fear of God which is the beginning of wisdom. Oh, may our fear be in you and of you. May our hearts be for you. Lord, I thank you this morning. Your desire is that we would enter into a place of rest. Not just one day a week. Not just for a moment. You're calling us into rest. You're calling us into Jesus. Come to me, all you who are thirsty. Come to me, all you who are weary. Come to me, all you who are burdened. Come and I'll give you rest. Yoke with me, which means we come under the lordship of Jesus. We, we come into that place of coming under his lordship. We yoke with him. At that every knee will bow. We come down and we actually set his yoke upon us. We say, I will walk in your ways. Teach me your ways. Lord, I thank you for your word, which is life, which lights our path, which gives us your ways. Lord, I thank you for your spirit, which reveals all truth, which, which leads us and directs us, which teaches us all things. Lord, you say you put your spirit in us. As we call upon you, as we cry out to you, as we say we hunger and thirst for you, you say, yes, pour out my spirit upon you. Lord, I thank you for a season of, a new season, a new day, a new era of your church arising, that the glory of the Lord would come upon us. It's our season to arise. It's our season to shine. It's our day. We've been created for this very time, for this very moment to arise and shine, that your glory would come upon us. But it comes as we kneel before you. It comes as we yoke with you and learn from you. May we learn from you today. Hebrews 4, it says it still remains that some will enter that rest. Then he talks about those before that have come before and it says those who have formerly had the gospel preached to them they didn't go in they didn't enter into rest it says because of their disobedience therefore God again he set a certain day and he called it today <laughs> I love this he, he called the day today and then he uses David he uses King David and he says when a long time later he spoke through David as was said before. And so this, these were the words that he said, but he said it for today. He says, today. What's today? Today. Today, right now, where we are right now, here's our chance, here's our opportunity. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
this is the Lord's cry. I don't feel like it's a, it's not a don't harden your hearts. I felt the tenderness of the Lord in this just the other day. I spent two hours on the floor weeping over these words right here because this is the Lord's heart for his people. He's not saying, don't harden your heart. I'm gonna, I'm gonna knock you down. He's like, no, do you not understand the rest that I have for you? Would you enter into my rest? Would you come into this place? You cannot have a hardened heart and come into this place of rest. You cannot walk in your own ways. You can't continue to do the things you're doing and come into a place of rest. Come into me. It's a, place, it's a lukewarm place. It's the church of Lydiosia. He says, I'll spit you out of my mouth. He's looking for those that are hot, hungry, thirsty. There's a heat, there's a presence of God that is coming upon us to say, I will fully surrender everything to you to walk in your ways. He goes, those are my children. I'm going to put my spirit in them and they will be led by my spirit and they will walk in a place of rest and they will accomplish much for my glory. They will be the ones that I dwell with, that I live with for eternity. So don't harden your heart. Walk in his ways. Learn his ways. It's where Jesus in, in, in Matthew 28, he says this, and like we kind of skip this part with the Great Commission. But don't skip this part. And this is our job. This is my job. It's your job. We're to teach. So we're, here's the thing. I'm just going to read it. So it's, it says, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Learn from me. Yoke with me. Here's how we come in. We say, let me teach you. <laughs> imitate me as I imitate Christ. Why is it so important? Why do we, why do we go after holiness? Why do we go after righteousness? Don't go, well, it's, it's the grace of God. I can walk in my ways. God's grace will just cover all those things. No, we're called to a higher place. And then he says this. Let me say this. Sometimes we just think it says the Lord, that surely I am with you always to the end of the age. It's not a given. It's for those who actually do his commands. He's not with everyone to the end of the age. He's with those who, who say yes to him. It's those that, that, that follow in his ways. He says, go back to that, Hebrews 4. Actually, let me read this in another place. It's really, um, right after that, let me just say this. It says, for if Joshua had given them rest. So he says, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There then remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Here's the Sabbath rest that we're called to. And then he says this, everyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work. We no longer do our own works. We no longer strive to do these things, but we actually do the works that we're created for. We're created as a masterpiece for good works. 
Each one of us, there are specific things that the Lord has, has designed you for before you were born. He's put it in you. He actually put it in your design. And then he says, now yoke with me because I have a great plan for your life. And, and I see people, they're striving their whole life to figure out what they're supposed to do in life. And the only thing they're supposed to do is come to Jesus. And he'll give them rest and he'll bring them into the place. He'll actually teach you. He'll show you his ways. And then it's our job to go, okay, here we go. Buckle up because it's going to be the ride of your life and you're going to love it. <laughs> it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean you're going to sit on a, drink, a beach and drink Mai Tais the rest of your life. <laughs> More than likely, that's not the calling on our lives, on any one of our lives. It's going to be radical. It's going to be scary to the world. But we're going to be in his arms. We're going to be in the refuge of Christ, in his covering. And so he says this, so make every effort. This is where we go after it. We make every effort to enter into that rest. And it says, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. There's another place in, uh, in Jeremiah, it says this. And I, I, Jeremiah 6 says, stand at the crossroads. Look. There, there a lot of us right now, there's crossroads. You're at a crossroad right now. He's like, stand at the crossroad and look. And then he says this, ask for the ancient path. God, show me your ways that I may know you and I may have favor. Your favor may rest upon me. And the Lord says, I'll give you rest and I'll give you my presence. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and then walk in it. And it says, and you will find rest for your souls. And then he adds this part. But they said, we will not walk in it. Let that not be us. The rest of it doesn't go well for them. Uh, I won't read it because it's depressing. <laughs> I want to do this. We're going to, we're going to close with uh, taking communion. We're going to, this is the cool part. We're going to actually take Jesus, his body and his blood, his body which was broken for us, his blood which was poured out. So communion is not a once a month thing. We, we, we do it publicly, like we do it together as a group but communion is coming into union with him constantly. It's that place of rest. But I believe that this is going to be just kind of almost like a prophetic act for us today. To say as we do this, as we take what represents the body of Christ, and as we take this cup, which is the most powerful entity on this earth, it's the blood of Jesus which, which covers all sins, which removes all sin when we take hold of him when we drink of him, when we drink him in. And I just want to read through as we prepare right now for just for taking this. I, 
In John 6, I shared this in the back. I'm just going to share this again. I, I say in the back, but in the pre-service prayer, we just took communion together. And, and Jesus, he does this. Uh, John 6, is, it's, it's crazy. This is not what pastors would ever do or churches would ever do because this is how you lose your, all your followers, all your congregation. In one foul swoop, he goes from thousands to 12. Like, that is not the church growth model. But it's the kingdom model. And so I want you to capture this as... Jesus had just fed 5,000 people. Amazing. Uh, miraculous. And then he walks on water. Another pretty miraculous feat. And, uh, and then he begins to teach here. And he says this. Uh, he goes, this is, Jesus says to them, he says, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. And so he's talking about this bread that they just ate. So they're all following him now because he's like, wow, whatever he did, this was amazing. The food was good. Uh, And then he starts to share with them. He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And, And I saying in the back is this is this is all like okay that's great that's really good and he but he kind of does this he he takes a step and they like agree with him and then he starts to take another one and they agree with him and then he gets into some crazy things here and he starts to offend the people he he says this he goes for the for the bread of god is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world now he's talking about himself but he hasn't clarified this yet. But then just right after that, few verses down, it says, then Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. And this is where they're like, whoa, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> like your teachings were really good up until this point. But it, it's interesting. They, they look at this and they start to reason with their minds. And they go, it says, at this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say I came down from heaven? This doesn't make sense, right? We're about to step into things as we say yes to him that don't make sense. Will we get offended? Will we take offense when we go, ah, that can't be. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't operate that way. I had it all planned. I know what Jesus is going to do. I know how he's going to do this. And when it doesn't happen our way, it's like tilt. And all of a sudden, we, we, like, we, can't, we can't understand it. And so what we do is we back away from it. The very thing as the Son of God was speaking and declaring one of the most powerful statements on the face of the earth about who he was and how we have life, this is where they took offense. It says this. (laughs) He goes on to say, come to me. 
He goes, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. And then he says it again. He goes, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And then he doesn't stop there. They're already offended. And then he goes, oh, let me, let me clarify. This bread, it's my flesh. <laughs> They're like, whoa, wait a minute. Now we're eating your flesh? He says, it's my flesh which I give for the world or for the life of the world. And then it says, then the Jews begin to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Ah! <laughs> like this makes no sense. Again, offense comes in. Rationalism, like they're rationalizing. This doesn't make sense. We can't, we're not going to eat of him. They're, they're missing what he's saying here. We have to take hold of him. There's no other life outside of him. And then he doesn't stop there. Gotta love Jesus. He's called the rock of offense. And he loves, I think he loves to offend. He loves to offend those like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those that, that think of themselves so highly. He says he actually hides things from those that are wise and gives them to little children. He calls us to be childlike in our faith, childlike in our understanding. A child doesn't, doesn't question necessarily what, what a parent would say, like, hey, we're going to eat at this time. Like, ah, this really isn't dinner time. Like, no, you just, okay. Like, that's what we're going to do. Must be we're doing something different. That's okay. There's a childlike faith that he actually requires of us. Not, a, not an adult faith. Not a, I got this figured out faith. This is the place of laying our lives down for Jesus. And he says this, he goes, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. So here he goes, he's clarifying it again. Here's the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the son of man, and then he goes, and drink his blood. And they're like, oh, now you've done it. <laughs> That's it. Now we're out. He says, unless you do those things, you don't have eternal life. He says, but if you take this, he says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. So whoever eats the flesh, my flesh, and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Here it is. That's the abiding rest, the place that we're called to. And they say this, it says, on hearing this, many of the disciples says, this is a hard teaching. <laughs> Who can accept it? We, we, can't, we can't accept these words. They don't make sense to us. And we're offended by them. And Jesus says, does this offend you? <laughs> Do the words of life offend you? And I'm going to skip down, but it says, first Jesus says, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. And then it's interesting. And in John 6, 66, so in 666, this is the verse, which I thought it was 
Sometimes I go, I don't think this is coincidence. Like, okay, John 6, verse 66. So there's not a lot of even places where you could have a 666. But here's what it says. 6, verse 66 says, from, that, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer followed him. They turned away from Jesus, from the very source of life, because they couldn't understand what he was saying. They tried to reason it out. It wasn't a childlike faith. It was that place of, no, 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 that's wrong. I know, I know that's wrong, and, and I, can't, I can't accept that. We cannot allow offenses, things that, that don't make sense, to offend us and actually draw us away from the presence of God, to draw us away from that rest. You're going to get offended, and it's how you respond. Will you say, God, I'm going to, I'm saying yes to you, no matter what the cost, no matter what it is, I'm just going to say yes. I'm going to walk in radical obedience, independent of my understanding, and it's going to be a childlike faith. It's those that are childlike, with the childlike faith, it says those with that humble faith, they're the ones that will enter the kingdom of heaven. I want every one of us to have that faith, that trust in Jesus, that we will not get offended and turn from him when things get difficult. Matthew 24 talks about it. It says, in the last days, there will be many that turn, many that are deceived. And it's because it's not going to make sense. There will be many, many that believed in him, many that were following him that will turn from him in the last days. There'll be those that, that, that speak lies and, and speak, uh, it says, the, the false prophets. They're going to speak what our itching ears want to hear. Don't just listen to what sounds good. Truth typically doesn't sound good. It hurts. It divides soul and spirit, bone and marrow. It hits deep. Let his word hit deep. Let it offend you. And then take him in. Take all of him in. Lay down our lives. I feel like I need to just address this. I, I, I was going to skip it, and I just feel the Lord just come back to it. So I, I'm just going to hang with me for, give me just a few more minutes here. I believe there's an area right now in the church of, that, that we're saying we love him, and we're, we're saying we're walking in his ways, and we're, we're being obedient to him. But we're not walking in the forgiveness that he's given us towards others. And, and if there's something about even coming in and taking communion and saying, yeah, God, we're gonna live for you. I feel like if there's unforgiveness in your heart, if you have any place of, of a, a resistance or something against someone, the Lord, he'll, by his grace, he'll give you the grace to forgive. But it's a command. It is not optional. 
And it, let me just read these words because you won't believe me if I say it. Jesus, he, he takes him through the prayer, the Lord's prayer. And then at the end of the prayer, so in the Lord's prayer, he says these words. He says, uh, he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have, have sinned against us or have come against us. So it's actually in the prayer that he's saying, you need to ask the Lord to do this. You need to ask the Father to help you to step into this. Because if you don't, here's what he says. Right after that, he says, for if you forgive those who have sinned against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive them their sins, if you, for not, if you do not forgive those who have sinned against you, your Father will not forgive your sins. But I have grace. Well, good luck with that. I, I, I don't believe it's, it's, it's a, like somebody sins against you or comes against you and you have an anger against them and boom, you die and the Lord's like, ah, oh, you had unforgiveness in your heart. <laughs> I don't believe that's what it is. But I believe it's a place of when, when you've been forgiven and when you walk with Christ, if you continue to hold something against someone else, if you continue to hold on to that unforgiveness, that's what he's talking about. Because your heavenly Father will not forgive you. In Luke 17, it, Jesus is, Peter's talking with Jesus about this and he's like, hey, how many times do I have to forgive? And he's like, ah, like seven times? And you know Peter. Peter. It doesn't say it's Peter, but I know it's Peter. <laughs> because this is, this is the dialogue Jesus has with Peter all the time. And he's like, so seven times? And, and, and Jesus is like, no, 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 Peter. Seventy times seven. And he's like, oh. <laughs> like, wait a minute. And then it's, what's funny is right after that, he goes, he says, Lord, Increase my faith. <laughs> and I love it. I mean, this is Peter going, oh, dude, I, I could do seven times, but not 70 times seven. God, increase my faith. <laughs> that one's way beyond me. God gives us the grace, and he gives us the power to walk out forgiveness. But this is one of the biggest things that keeps us out of rest. If you're holding on to anything that somebody has done to you, it's not optional. It's commanded and it's demanded from the king that you forgive. Let me just show you one other place real quick and then we're going to do communion here. But this is important because if you step into this, I feel like you step into going, yes, Jesus, like here we go, we're going to do this together and you're holding on to this unforgiveness, it is not a good place to be. It will not end well for you. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 18. He gives, he's just going to paraphrase this. He gives this example. You can read through it, the end of Matthew 18. And, and he talks about this, this man, and it says the king, he's actually, he's kind of cleaning up his debts. And there's a guy he brings in who owes him 10,000 talents. It's equivalent to millions of dollars. Basically, it's he can't pay it back. And, and he, he says, okay, Bring him in, bring his family in, sell off him, his wife, his children, and all that he has. 
to pay off the debt. And the guy falls down at the, at the feet of this master of this king and he says, Lord, I plead mercy. Like, let me pay it off. <laughs> the king's like, you can't pay it off. But he has pity on him. He says he takes pity on him. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to forgive him all his debts. <laughs> Just like that. He goes from, they're going to sell him off, sell his whole family off to, oh, he came in that place and he's, ba- he's just kneeling down saying, I can't do it, but will you, will you forgive me? And he's like, yes, all your debts cleared. But then it says, then that same man, he goes out. And this is, here's the crazy part. All our debts have been paid. And trust me, every, our debt deserves death every one of us all of sin come and fallen short of the glory of God every single one of us sin demands death how is that overcome Jesus so here it is he gave his very best he gave his son so that we could actually have all of our debt annulled all of our debt is gone But yet this man, it says he goes out and he finds someone that owes him, says a hundred, what is it? A hundred denarii, which is like less than a day's wage or a day's wage or something. It's not, it's just dollars. And he's like, pay me that debt. And the guy's like, "I, I can't pay it right now. I'll pay it. I will pay it. And he goes, no, 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 no. And he throws him in prison, says, take him to the prison. He's not paying his debt. This is the guy that just, just was forgiven all of his debts. And, uh, and the king, the master, finds out about it. Says the other servants, they run and they tell the master, this guy that you just forgave all of his debt, the 10,000 talents, he just put this guy in prison for just for a few denarii. And... Uh, says, the master called the servant in. He says, you wicked servant. I canceled all your debt and you, that you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? It says, in anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured. So before, he was just going to get sold. Now, he's going to be tortured until he should pay back the debt that he owed, which basically is never. And then he says this, Jesus says these words, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. (laughs) Opportunity for offense. These are strong words. I would take them seriously. We cannot afford to have any unforgiveness in our heart. So, this is between you and the Lord because it's a heart issue. It's not, I forgive. And then underneath you're like, oh, but I can't forgive. Uh, Steve, will you just come up real quick? Just give us a very short version of this as we're going to close here in, in, with communion. But he, Steve shared this uh, about his ex-wife. And uh, 
let this just sink in. So just, yeah, if you just share that quickly, because we So, seven years ago, I was married. I was betrayed. You don't need details, but it was very, very tough. And on Yom Kippur, I was with a whole group of people, and we were in the subject of forgiveness. And those words came that night. Forgive as you're forgiven. And I was going, well, Lord, I've forgiven her. I've forgiven her. I've forgiven her more times than I can count. It's more than 70. And he showed me a picture of Messiah on the tree, looking at the Father and saying, Father, I've forgiven Steve. Would you just hold him accountable for the things he did that put me here? That's what I've been doing with my ex. Father, I forgive her. Would you just hold her accountable for all the things she did that put me where I'm at? And I had to let it go. Yeah, so good. Forgiveness is not saying I forgive him, but Lord, you judge him. <laughs> because if that's, that's the same thing, it's not Jesus going, oh, I forgive him, but we'll judge him later. There's no judgment. It's mercy that triumphs over judgment. And we're called to live our lives the same way Jesus did. We're called to follow in his footsteps. So, this is a big one. And, and, I, and it may not get fully dealt with right now, but I feel like the Lord's going to just begin to touch your heart in this area. And he's going to help you to get this area healed. It's for you, that you can walk in the fullness of what God has for you. It requires radical obedience. You go, well, it doesn't make sense. They don't deserve to be forgiven. They've done this and this and this. It doesn't matter. So Lord, as we, as we take communion, as we come before you, Lord, you demand radical obedience to your ways, which are not our ways. We would never let somebody just completely off the hook. It says that your love has no memory. It doesn't remember these things. It doesn't remember the wrongs that have, been, that have come against us. Your love is so great that you would pour out your love by giving your son to die on a cross, that his body would be broken for us, that his blood would be shed on a cross, that we can actually take hold of that body, we can take hold of that blood, and it brings us into oneness with him. It brings us into oneness with you, Jesus, oneness with the Father, oneness with the Spirit, oneness with the body of Christ. May we see and understand the significance of what you did on that day, in that moment, on a cross. That we don't take lightly the body of Christ and this blood that was shed for us. The new covenant, which explodes the old covenant. You took it all on. You took the, the old covenant. <laughs> you took it on the cross. You gave us a new covenant that we can actually be one with you again.
that we can enter into rest. So Lord, I thank you for this opportunity we have to enter into rest. I thank you for this opportunity to commune with you all the days of our lives. Every moment. In Jesus' name. It's going to do this. We're going to go, if you guys can go and just worship. And, and uh, I feel like this is, this is not a time. Normally, we, we gather together and, and take communion. I feel like this time, it's just you and Jesus. Would you just take this time? And, and I'm not going to, you now can just come up. You can take the elements. But we're going to close with this and just take the time that you need to come before the Lord. We're going to just take him in. We're going to take communion and let him transform you from the inside out. Not from the outside in. Again, it's not, well, if you do this, do this, and do this. Like, it's, he actually changes us from the inside out. He changes our heart. When we understand his love, we become more like him, but we walk in his ways we learn his ways, and then we, under, we get to know him more. And it's that back and forth. So we radically obey, and then we walk in intimacy. And we walk in intimacy, and then we radically obey. All right. Your part. You guys stand up. Let's take communion. And just close with this. So I just want you to know I love you guys. Let him be all of you. Let him be the center of your life. Let him be everything. It's a new day of destiny that dawns for us. Amen.